0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We're going to hear from some uh, old friends, I think, and uh, a new friend or two before this hour is up. You may have observed that this show is somewhat loosely organized. But you know, many tell us that that is our strength. We expect to be joined by comedian Ngayo Belam in our second segment today and get an update into the whooping cough crisis in California from uh, our old pal Dr. Gary Aguilar, himself a victim. Let us now commence the program as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our date today is the 5th of August. August, of course, is named after Caesar Augustus, who was kind of jealous over the fact that his great-uncle Julius changed the fifth month of the Roman calendar, which I think was Quintilis, into July. So Augustus changed the sixth month's name into August. Luckily, his successor Tiberius was able to resist changing the name of September. And for that, we at Radio Parallax would like to say, thank you, Tiberius. It was on August 5th in the year 1775, that the first Spanish ship, the San Carlos, entered San Francisco Bay, here in California. On this date in 1858, the first transatlantic telegraph line was completed. The cable, which stretched more than 1,950 miles, was laid as deep as two miles under the Atlantic. This established transatlantic telegraph communication. However, its weak signal turned out to be insufficient for regular communication and service ended later that year. A more powerful cable was laid in 1866 On this date in 1864 during the American Civil War, Union Admiral David Farragut issued the famous order "Damn the torpedoes full speed ahead as he, as he led his flotilla into Mobile Bay the fall of confederate defenses at mobile bay was the first in a series of successes that secured the re-election of president abraham lincoln on this date in 1947 the german automotive engineer ferdinand porsche was released from french prison porsche had been arrested as a suspected nazi collaborator by u.s and french occupation authorities after world war ii to which we say suspected evidently ferdinand had to spend two whole years in prison He's, of course, best known, not for designing the Nazi tiger tank, but for the automobile that bears his name. Which is a great segue into our joke of the day. Which is, what's the difference between a porcupine and a Porsche? Answer, on a porcupine, the pricks are on the outside. Alright, on August 5th 1963... Representatives of the U.S., the Soviet Union, and Great Britain signed the Nuclear Test Ban Treaty, which prohibited the testing of nuclear weapons in outer space, underwater, or in the atmosphere. Something which a lot of jerks in the Pentagon with with too much testosterone would like to see reversed. Exactly one year before this, in 1962, the American actress Marilyn Monroe was found dead in her home in Los Angeles. Her death was ruled a suicide, but some questions do remain about it. Marilyn Monroe, of course, remains a major cultural icon around the world. Our quote of the day comes from America's 40th president, Ronald Reagan, who once said, Never confuse the stock market with the economy. Our quote of the day comes from one of Reagan's contemporaries in Hollywood, Lucille Ball, who said, The secret of staying young is to live honestly, eat slowly, and lie about your age. We have a backlog of stats of the day, so let's do a few. Here's one from a few months ago. According to the Washington Post, there were a, grand, a grand total of 62 federal oil rig inspectors are assigned to cover the 4,000 rigs out in the Gulf of Mexico, seven more than in 1985 when there were a tenth as many. And you know, that makes me a bit nervous with so few inspectors why something bad could happen. Also, according to the Washington Post, nearly 40% of American doctors are age 55 or older. Their expected retirements over the next decade, along with those of nurses, will create a shortfall of hundreds of thousands of healthcare professionals by 2020. Chris, I have an idea. Why don't we start paying our doctors what we pay our lawyers? Average doctor in America makes, I think, like, what is it? We did this a while ago, Mr. McMillan, like 75 bucks an hour, I think. Whereas the lawyers I know seem to be pulling down to more like 300. But of course, they do such good work. According to the Chicago Tribune, China now has 253 million citizens with internet access compared to 223 million here in the U.S. Here's one we're sad to report. According to iVillage, 63% of married women in the U.S. say they would prefer to watch a movie, read a book, or catch an extra hour of sleep rather than have sex with their husbands? And no, we have no data about how they responded to that question as regards to sex with other people. Here's a happy stat. The number of operational warheads in the U.S. Here's a happy stat. The number of operational warheads in the U.S. nuclear stockpile, according to the Pentagon, is down from a peak of 31,000 weapons in 1967. The Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists estimate that in 2009, Russia had 4,800 operational warheads. Of course, the Soviet arsenal had topped out at around 45,000 weapons in 1986. The new Strategic Arms Reduction Treaty would limit both countries to 1,550 operational warheads each, which is plenty. We at Radio Parallax find that sort of thing very encouraging, especially when you read, as, you, as we did on Sunday, Yet the U.S. military is on the verge of activating a partial missile shield over Southern Europe, which is alleged to be part of an intensifying global effort to build defenses against Iranian missiles, which is BS. But uh, Pentagon officials say they're nearing a deal to establish a key radar ground station, probably in Turkey or Bulgaria. And if you believe the U.S. is interested in protecting Bulgaria from Iranian missiles, I have a bridge we need to talk about uh, wheeling and dealing over. Let's do a few more. According to the New York Times, over the course of his or her lifetime, the average American stands a 1 in 5,552 chance of dying in a plane crash. That includes small private planes. Your lifetime odds of dying in a car wreck? 1 in 247. And I know, we did that one a while ago, but it's worth doing again. Newsweek, which was sold this week, by the way, being that it's kind of on the ropes and and badly in need of change. But uh, Newsweek, on its May 24th and 31st edition, had a, a backstory titled, What Should You Really Be Afraid Of? Giving some odds that are similar to our last statistic worth pondering. Playing off that last, in 2005, 321 Americans died in airplane accidents. 34,017 died in fatal car crashes. Your odds of being an American killed in a terrorist attack around the world in 2008, well, there were 33 such deaths. In the same year, people who died from the seasonal flu, 36,171 need to get your flu shot. And of course, in the summer... When we swim in the ocean, we worry about shark attacks, don't we? Well, in 2009, there were 28 such attacks. Compare that to the number of dog bites in the same year, 4.5 million. And although Radio Parallax has no national statistics on squirrel bites, I'm sorry to report that the host of this program was bitten not once, but twice by a squirrel this week. All right, let's do some follow-up. We'd like to thank Bruce, who uh, volunteered to send some money to KDVS in the wake of our uh, loss of transmitter function a few weeks back. Bruce, we hope that you can hear us uh, out there in Carmichael now. And by the way, KDVS is cautiously optimistic that the uh, Yolo County Board of Supervisors is going to to allow an expansion of our uh, tower facilities here in uh, the greater Davis area, which should boost our signal all over Northern California. There'll be a county supervisors meeting next month, and we hope that uh, people will come out and attend that show, that you support uh, this station, this program, and uh, community radio in general. In fact, we'll try to bring station manager uh, Neil Rood uh, onto the show before that uh, meeting to talk about, uh, you know, the importance of your support want to add, too, that Bruce was kind enough to send a late uh, donation to the station. We do have an annual pledge drive every April, but uh, we do depend on your support, and we can, believe me, any financial support you want to offer any time during the year will be gratefully accepted. Bruce, thanks again. want to note, uh, by way of follow-up, that uh, we've bagged on television quite extensively on this program, but watching late-night TV uh, this last couple weeks, I've seen some just excellent science programs about space exploration. We talked to the good people at Jet Propulsion Laboratory about the Cassini mission back in 2005, five years ago. It's still out there working, doing great science, and we'll have to do an update on that in the not-too-distant future. We'll see if we can't bring uh, Alan Stern onto the show. He's the um, principal investigator of the New Horizons mission to Pluto. We mentioned the fact that it's now past the halfway point out to, uh, the dwarf planet at the end of the solar system. Well, that's not exactly correct. Pluto's kind of located at the inner inner boundary of the Kuiper Belt, which is still part of the solar system and and has been found to contain at least one object so far larger than Pluto itself. There's no doubt more out there. I do want to note also that planetary radio has been part of the KDVS family for uh, the past several years. We've uh, sometimes had insufficient public affairs programming here at UC Davis, at least in terms of uh, locally produced shows. So we were, uh, we were re-airing Planetary Radio, which appears on our sister station, KUCI, at UC Irvine. Currently, however, we do have a program filling the 8.30 to 9.30 a.m. slot on Fridays. That would be Intercourse on Intercourse. Uh, there's some rumors out there that the host of this program will be a guest on that one. We'll see been a great privilege for uh, yours truly to be a part of the KDVS uh, lineup of public affairs programs these past eight years. We've had regular contributions to this program from Franz Kassing, if it's about you, Dr. Andy Jones from Dr. Andy's Poetry and Technology Hour, and both, and both, Ron Glick and Richard Estes from Speaking in Tongues. By the way, it's been our privilege for the last year to be rebroadcast on KZFR in Chico, and Mr. McMillan and I enjoyed traveling up to Chico this Saturday to celebrate their 20th birthday party. That was up at uh, Scotty's Landing on the river, and I must say, I was ignorant of the fact that uh, the Sacramento River comes a lot closer to Chico than I realized, and it looked like some pretty good swimming out there, so I went and jumped in. But it is a great privilege for Mr. McMillan and I to be heard on two fine community radio stations, KDVS and KZFR. Speaking of uh, good organizations, moveon.org will be sponsoring an event uh, this coming Tuesday, August 10th. There'll be a rally for a Sacramento event in front of the Federal Building at 5th and I. I want to thank Nancy for her email alerting her of this fact. She asked if we remembered last year when uh, the voices of ordinary Americans were drowned out by a vocal minority of Tea Partiers who spread lies about death panels and the president's birth certificate. Well, yes, we do. (laughs) It's been noted that this August, it's got to be a little different. And if you want more information on this event, you can contact Michael DeSantis at 443-1618. He's the main organizer for this rally. 443-1618. You know we haven't gotten to the good, the bad, and the ugly yet. I want to thank another correspondent, Millie, for sending in a, uh, a rendition of that famous theme song. And yes, we're elevating Millie's status from listener to correspondent. Thank you for your help, Millie. Apparently a good week last week for real citizens' revolt. After the exorbitant pay that officials were pulling down in the working-class L.A. city of Bell caused city council members this week to vote to cut their own pay by 90%. After the L.A. Times had reported the week before that Bell City Manager Robert Rizzo, his deputy, Angela Spassia, and the police chief, Randy Adams, were together making one... $6 billion a year, while council members in turn were pulling in $96,000 annually, well, the people of Bell got fired up. Apparently all three officials resigned over the pay fallout. They may be taking extended vacations, though. We're pretty sure they can afford it. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for cost-saving measures. When it was revealed that a cash-strapped prison in Argentina had placed a dummy in the watchtower to pose as a guard. This failed to fool at least two of the inmates who figured out that the guard wasn't real, climbed over the fence and wall, and escaped. People, there are some things you just can't skimp on. And it was evidently kind of an ugly week last week for shoppers. When it was revealed that a lawsuit has now been filed against the 99 cents only chain... For raising the price of items to $0.9999, Eric Schiffer, the chain CEO, says the 0.0099 increase is a very tiny amount. Yeah, it's about one percent, and does concede that prices are rounded up to a dollar at the cash register. Gee, from 0.9999 to one. Hmm. Of course, the lawyer for the plaintiffs has said, if they call themselves 99 cents only, it should be 99 cents. You know, I think for once we agree with the lawyers. And in a final item that we're not sure whether it's good, bad, or ugly, maybe a little bit of all, maybe a little bit of each, we have this item from The New Yorker. Apparently movie studios have started using inflatable dolls instead of paid extras for crowd scenes. Apparently in the new Angelina Jolie action film Salt, 500 dolls were used to simulate a crowd in one scene. You know, after thinking about it, this is both bad and ugly. And I say this having once been a paid movie extra. Probably none of you out there recognized me in the scene in which I appeared with Jeff Bridges in the movie Against All Odds. Which is admittedly understandable. It's not only hard to tell that it's me, it's hard to tell that it's an actual human being in the background. That's a story I should tell at greater length someday. Not today, however. We need to take a break pretty soon, but before we do, let's hear from our good friend, Mr. Will Durst, America's foremost political comic.
1: Hey guys, Will Durst here to talk about the release of 91,000 classified documents detailing a bit of a disconnect between our public pronouncements on Afghanistan and the actual situation on the ground. A bit like the difference between yoga and rusty bayonets. 91 or 92 thousand, they're not sure. What's a thousand or two documents amongst friends? Well, see, there's your problem. Apparently we don't have any friends. As it turns out, corruption is endemic. Our allies aren't always working on our side. The fighting isn't going all that well, and a halfway decent deep-dish pizza crust remains a concept the Afghanis seem unable or unwilling to comprehend. Not to mention democracy. The upshot of it all? We've been there eight years, and it's starting to make a quagmire look like a refreshing dip in a cool pool with buckets of frosty beer within reach and cold cucumber slices on your eyes. Pakistan officials dispute claims their intelligence agency is collaborating with the Taliban. These allegations are always repeated. Hmm. Wonder why. Maybe because they're true? Just like those silly allegations about the sun rising in the east. A few congressmen are already sharpening their budget scalpels, wondering how we could throw Pakistan a billion a year in foreign aid while they help insurgents in Afghanistan. With friends like these, who needs enemy combatants? As one would expect, the administration is playing down the revelations. Nothing new here, everything generally known. Yeah, just not generally known by the general public. White House officials are hoping to use the leaks to pressure Pakistan to play nice. Yeah, dream on. As they say in Animal House, if I were us, I'd be leaving. This is not a winnable war. We have other things on our mind. The Taliban has won on theirs. And it's not perfecting a recipe for deep dish pizza crust. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. Hey, Buddha. Hey, Buddha. Hey,
0: Buddha. Hey, Buddha. All right, we've got to take a break, but before I do, I have to mention one final item. The most famous member of America's most famous outlaw biker gang, has now become an advocate for highway safety. Writing in the Los Angeles Times, Susan Carpenter said that, yes, Sonny Barger, who helped found the Oakland chapter of the Hell's Angels in 1957, still rides his own bike 25,000 miles a year, but the ex-con sees so many wannabes out there that it worries him. Barger's taken note of the fact that nationwide, motorcycle fatalities have risen for 11 consecutive years. He says everybody wants to be a motorcycle rider today and they're getting killed. So although the hell's angels have never been known as (laughs) law-abiters, Barger's new book, Let's Ride, is a how-to guide loaded with road rules. Let's end the segment with some of those, which are don't ever ride when angry. Good one. Don't ever ride drunk. It goes without saying. And don't ever believe another driver's turn signals. Anyway, What do you think, Mr. Midland? Should we get Sonny Barger on the show? No. Well, we may anyway. Let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett.